Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, sorry, I was a little late getting up here. Um, welcome to our Recharge Takeover service, first one for uh, 2024. Uh, it's a blessing that we have this opportunity to do this. Um, I know it, it benefits everyone in the college class to have an outlet that we can serve God, and especially in the functions of a church. Uh, we have the Welcome Guest QR code. Um, stop by our Welcome Center or scan the QR code to uh, uh, find out more information about our church. On our next slide, we have the missions conference coming up. Unfortunately, I have to miss that. I go back to school on Wednesday. But it starts this Friday night. Um, missions conferences are always great encouragement to me, uh, just hearing different stories from different missionaries about um, what it means to be out in the world uh, doing that work. On our next slide, we have uh, the ladies' Bible study. Uh, cost of the book is $10. Dealing with disappointment uh, starts evening of January 30th, Tuesdays at 7 p.m., or the morning study Thursdays at 9.30, if that works better for you. Uh, Taylor and Maddie Woods, go PCC. Uh, their candidate visit is Sunday, February 11th. Um, become candidate for youth pastoring. Uh, we need more help with Awana. Um, we're in need of one or two more helpers for Cubbies for Awana. Uh, see Matt Huggins or Pastor Brett if you're interested and have the time. The Grand Prix, there's a beautiful table out back with some trophies on there uh, if you want some information on that. Uh, obviously, there's some volunteers that we're looking for for that. It's Saturday, May 18th from 11 to 1. Provided lunch, which is awesome. Great benefit. Uh, missionaries of the Week, we have Jonathan and Emily Washer for uh, Inside the Lines. Uh, so just uh, keep them in your prayers and uh, keep that ministry, uh, uplift that ministry of the Lord. How can I have the ushers come forward? And we're going to have Brother Charlton pray for us. First hymn we'll be singing tonight is And Can It Be, and it's just one of those hymns where if you're not right with God by the end of it, just come see me after the service so I can let you know how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven or something like that. And it's just absolutely wonderful, chock full, packed full of theology and wonder and truth, and you can remain seated for now, but you all know that I like to be a little active when I song lead, so we'll sing And Can It Be.
are done, I can finally get you guys to stand up. This next verse, um, it said that it's Charles Wesley's um, own testimony on how he got saved, and it's my favorite verse out of all of it because for myself, it's personal. It is so personal. Um, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Just every sinner. For myself, I was in prison. There was no way I could free myself. I could save myself. And then the Lord comes and thine eye diffused a quickening ray, a ray of life. And as a result of that, I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off and my heart was free. But notice that's freedom to follow after Jesus Christ. Not freedom to do your own thing, but to follow after thee, my own God and my Savior. An amazing love that God would give himself to us, the sinner. And sing it out on this next verse now. On my anything that should ever lift your heart is that you are no longer under its penalty nor its power. Don't you dare leave this room, leave this church house sad or depressed or anything like that. No condemnation now, I dread, because my greatest enemy, God, has now become my Holy Father. And that is just amazing. Sing it out on this last verse now. No condemnation Get in some 
little couple minutes in there every now and then. Birthdays and anniversaries. Anybody have any? Oh, I see a little guy over there. Uh, how old are you? Eight? Wow. <laughs> and have you trusted the Lord as your Savior yet? And when was that? Two months ago? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Birthdays or anniversaries? Oh, yes. And a birthday or anniversary? Birthday. And how long have you known the Lord as your Savior? Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Two months and 60 years. That is crazy. Anybody else? Well, let's sing happy birthday to these young people. word tonight. Revelation chapter number 1, verses 12 to the end of the chapter. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about with paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the seven, excuse me, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. May your hearts be sanctified by God's word this evening. You may be seated. Next hymn we'll be singing is Be Thou My Vision, and I do hope that is your um, testimony that the Lord is um, whom you desire above all else. And Charlton, I just can't help it when I'm behind the pulpit. I just have to, I just have to do it. It's just, just what I have to do. So we'll sing um, Be Thou My Vision.
is, um, see, I, I can take a little liberties because Pastor Brett asked me to song lead approximately 10 minutes before the service tonight, so I feel like if I wanted to swap just a little thing out in the service, it just, just, just humor me for a second. So take out your hymnals and go to hymn number 814. It's all the way at the end. It might be unfamiliar to many of you. I'm speaking facetiously, but this is a wonderful grace of Jesus that we'll sing. And it's been a long time since we whipped out the hymnals anyway, so just to, you know, get, get the dust off and all that. Be glad to hold it in your hands. Let's all stand together as we sing Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Okay. Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Yeah. 
singing. Uh, you may be seated. Uh, I'll make this very quick, lest I also be chastised by Charlton in front of everyone. Um, but um, I arranged the I arranged with the help of my brother, especially in timing, um, the next the trumpet piece we're about to do, and kind of the I think it's important like the history behind it when we sing hymns to look back at the context of when it was written and. Um, Horatio Spafford, who in the 1800s was a really successful lawyer and investor um, in Chicago, and in 1871, the Great Chicago Fire happened and pretty much destroyed every investment that he had. Um, to ease some of the burden on his family, he decided that they were going to take a trip to England to go um, attend a meeting by um, uh, Dwight L. Moody and um, help him out there. Well, in the, in the process, he got stuck behind with work, and he sent his um, wife and four daughters on to go before him. Um, five days after their ship had left, it collided with another ship, and all four of his daughters drowned in the accident. Um, when he got, so he gets news from his wife, and he goes to England to meet with her, and while he's crossing the ocean, the captain brings him up to the bridge and um, explains to him that his sailors have pretty much found the approximate location of where his wife's, um, the ship his wife and daughters were on went down. And um, what he said was he, he, he wasn't looking down at the ocean. He was looking up. And this is where he kind of got the inspiration for the song, which was originally titled Peace Like a River, but it's it's it as well. And when he got to England with his wife, um, Moody came down to visit them, and he was really encouraged and surprised that both of them had found the peace to say, it is well. And eventually you know, God provided, but in that time, it's surprising, you know, to see people have that kind of attitude. And it, if you don't know, my dad recently just had a heart attack and um, had to go on bypass and had an open heart surgery um, Monday. And so it was a whole ordeal. And so I, you know, I wrote this for the last takeover service and it, it didn't, um, circumstances came up and we weren't able to play it, but it's taken on a whole new meaning, which kind of just proves that God's timing is perfect.
I did add some of the razzle-dazzle in there, too. I just want to put that out there. Uh, good evening, church. Uh, what a blessing it is that we can gather together in the presence of our Lord, not fearful of the legality of us doing so. Uh, there are so many tried places in the world, and how blessed are we that our common fears are so much less than those of many of our third world brothers and sisters. Uh, this thought comes with the missions conference coming up. Um, we just had one at PCC middle of the semester, and it, it really is just encouraging to see the endurance of God's people during times when I honestly don't know that I could withstand. I definitely know I could not by myself. Um, the amazing thing about our relatives in Christ from the persecuted nations is that they don't use those trials against God, but instead they call upon his name and his promises in times of need. With that persecution, they learn what it means to rely on an almighty, all-knowing, personal creator of the universe. Uh, like Drake mentioned, the past couple weeks for our family have been uh, pretty emotionally taxing. I personally had a lot of stressful things in the background, none of which were nearly as taxing as um, our father falling ill. Like we as a church, blessed to be without that radical persecution. I, for most of my life, have been blessed to be without any extreme trials. I was born into a, a God-fearing family with two parents who love each other and love me. Um, also born to my parents were four of my best friends. In Drake, um, he's my most tried and trusted confidant. Uh, in Hayden, she's developing into the second best mother I will have ever known. Um, in Isaiah, I see what can only be described as my bubby. And in Anya, I see a mirror. She has a very similar mind to my own, which can be very annoying at times. But overall, it's pretty awesome. Um, I'm blessed to have the relationship with them that I have. But with all of this blessing um, and lack of extreme trials comes an inability to cope when those extreme trials come. When my father fell ill, my mom's first text, and, and it's important to note, um, I was at winter weekend um, helping out as staff, and so was Hayden, so all of us four younger kids were together um, that Friday. Um, but my mom's first text said, pray for dad, he's in the ER with chest pain. I immediately went to all my siblings and just whispered to them, you know, pray for dad, he's in the ER with chest pain. Um, and as more information was relayed to me, I texted my friends about it and I asked them to pray. Um, all this talk of prayer, and yet something in me felt that prayer was insufficient. I just got back from school where I listened to about eight sermons a week, spent numerous hours in my Bible between class and personal study. I preached about this almighty creator four times over these four months, and I was feeling that prayer was insufficient. How could this be? How could I not trust the power of prayer when I proclaimed to trust in the Savior? I didn't know how to cope. I hardly had any experience turning that real impending doom over to God. Worrying about these burdens and bearing them on your own is sin. And we are called to repent of our sin. Time and time again this semester was drilled into my peewee freshman mind that repenting is not apologizing. Repent is it's metanoia. It's a, it's a change of mind. Um, to literally have a new mindset. What I found helpful in my time of need was not just casting my burdens unto God, but taking on a new mindset. Repentance of my sin of worrying. Uh, for that reason, I entitled this message, The Joyful Perspective. We're going to start in, in James 1.3. Uh, the verse says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Uh, what I see here is um, he addresses them, My brethren, and says, Count it as joy when you fall into various trials. Count it joy when you fall into trials? What? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So he's saying, Be joyful when you fall into trials because those trials will work your patience. Trials are opportunities for us to deepen our reliance on God. We should be joyful at the existence of trials, 
because that's how we grow in Christ. Uh, knowing that, that is how you cope in times of trial. Um, reading the encouragement um, during my time of need, um, that our trials deepen our reliance on God, I found the news much easier to put up with. But God calls us to take that further. First uh, Peter 1, 4-6 says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. It says, We who are kept in the power of God through faith unto salvation are called to greatly rejoice in that salvation, though our faith is tested. Uh, the next verse in that passage is, That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The trial of our faith should be found unto praise, honor, and glory. And finally, going back to the original passage, um, James 1, to verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The Lord allows trials into our lives as gifts from him. The same God who blesses us when we feel blessed is blessing us when we face trials. In order to effectively endure these trials, we must change our perspective and view the allowance of trials as blessing from above that help us in our sanctification. This is how we count trials as joy. Turning away from God to escape the storm is like hiding from the sun to escape darkness. The Lord's joy is how we face the storm. Viewing our hardships as good gifts will give us the boldness we need to face the storm head on, similar to the boldness of a bison. Bison have the most unique response to harsh weather that I've ever heard of. Most animals will either fight for shelter or attempt to outrun the storm. Bison, however, charge into the storm head on. They instinctually know that facing the storm and running through it decreases their exposure, and armed with that knowledge, they charge. Trials give us the ability to deepen our relationship with God, and even though they seem overbearing and impossible, God calls us to be joyful in those times when we start to feel hopeless. With the joy of the Lord as our strength, how can we worry when we are tested? We are called to greatly rejoice in the midst of hopelessness, that the fruit of our faith can be seen. By changing how we view the trials we face, and taking on the idea that allowing us to face trials is a gift from the Lord, we can find joy in the times where all else feels lost. I pray that like the bison, we can face the storm armed with the joy of the Lord. And what a testimony to those who see us facing the storm and remaining joyful and hopeful. I want to leave you with an encouragement found in Romans 15:13. It says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Lord, I lift the congregation of, of uh, Southeast up to you tonight. And I, um, after the, the past year that we've had as a church, um, we, just, we ask that you would, you would show us your joy. Give us your joy in the times when we are facing things which we cannot face on our own. Um, I pray that this congregation would turn to you um, when they're feeling lost, um, that they would put their eyes upon you and, and feel your love, Lord. Um, for them, just as much as for others who are looking at them, who are looking at them, the people who are searching for joy in life, um, searching in all the wrong places, um, that not only would the person in the trial be helped, Lord, but, but that people would see them and, and realize that what they need to do is, is come to salvation through your Son. Um, Lord, please bless the rest of the service and uh, open our hearts that we, we hear everything that we're meant to hear and we receive what it is you're saying to us. We ask this all in your name. Amen.
Okay, so it's 6.37, so at this rate, by the time I'm done preaching, we'll probably be out at 7.30. Is that okay with y'all? But in all seriousness, um, I hope that tonight so far has been a blessing to y'all. I'm glad y'all got here safe as well. And before I start, I just really want to thank you for the opportunity to preach, to share what God has put on my heart. And I just hope and pray that the Holy Spirit will give me the words to say and that it will be a blessing to you all. So, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 1. We'll get right into it. And then when you get there, you can just stand up, clap three times. and I'm just kidding. I'll do that. Give me a couple more seconds. And then we're going to be starting in verse 5. Verse 5. And tonight, it's kind of a pretty simple, straightforward topic, but one that's pretty interesting and one that's very useful, a good reminder for all of us. Verse 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So, two things that this says about God. God is light and God has no darkness in him. So, light obviously being the positive, darkness being the negative. Just for the illustration tonight, I have three things that light does. So, light can reveal something. Light can make something more clear. And just to illustrate that, say you're walking downstairs, it's the middle of the night, you've got to grab a water bottle. I've been here many times before. You've got to grab a water bottle from downstairs because you're really thirsty. And you look over, and it looks like there's something that could be shaped like a person, right? And so it kind of startles you a little bit. You get a little bit scared because, you know, who's in my house? Who's the stranger? Or maybe you think it's like, what is my dad doing up at 3 a.m. or something like that? So you turn on the light, and it makes clear what's there. It lessens the confusion that you have about what's there. And it can also bring some relief, or it can make you more scared if it is someone that's in your house that you don't know. And also light draws attention, especially when it's juxtaposed to darkness. So when you're in a dark room, someone lights a candle, it's really easy to see that candle. So light draws attention as well. And so God is light, and remember those three things that light does as we go through this passage. And I'm just going to work my way through this passage to verse 10. But before we do that, we also need to know something about the heart. So, who knows what Jeremiah 17.9 says about the heart? Yes. Yes, yes. Good. Who was that? Who was that that said that? Ms. Huggins? Thank you very much. Very good. Yes. So, the verse says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, because of our sin nature, our hearts, you know, it's talking about, obviously, our hearts, not God's heart, the heart of God. But the heart, talking as one thing that represents the whole of humanity, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so that word, deceitful, is a key word. It's deceitful. Sometimes we can't know it. And at the end of the verse, it even emphasizes it. Who can know it? And so... It's important for us to guard our heart. And throughout the rest of this passage in 1 John 1, 
um, from verse 6 to 10, it talks about self-deception. And the general message of it is basically if we're living in sin and we think that we're right with God, we're deceiving ourselves. So there's three different things in this passage that I'm going to use to just illustrate three different ways that we can deceive ourselves and things to watch out for and what to do if you find yourself deceiving yourself. So before we get into that, I'd like to pray and then we can go from there. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just give me the words to say tonight. I pray that you would let the Holy Spirit come over me and that I would say what you want me to say from your word, not just my opinions, not just what I think. And um, just help me remember that I'm preaching at myself just as much as I'm sharing this message with these people here, Lord. And I pray that it would be a blessing to all of us and useful to all of us. I pray that you would help us to keep open hearts and open minds. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, as I mentioned before, three different scenarios. If you're taking notes, three different ways that we can deceive ourselves. So the first one, verse 6. You turn back to 1 John. Verse 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So the first one, thinking that we're right with God when we're living in sin. Again, thinking that we're right with God when we're living in sin. So maybe this is something um, something that's a recurring sin. Some people call it a besetting sin, something that just keeps happening over and over and over again. Maybe it's a plethora of, of different sins that you're doing and you're unrepentant of and that you don't have any regret over and you're not trying to solve. Um, whatever the case, this is talking about living in sin and sometimes we can deceive ourselves that we're right with God and really deep down in our hearts we know that we are living in sin. And so this verse also mentions that here we're walking in darkness, and this has to do with that um, deceiving ourselves again. We lie, and we do not the truth. But verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. So in verse 6 it says, I think that we have fellowship with him, that you know we're living in sin, and if we think we have fellowship in him, we actually don't. But in verse 7 it says, if we walk in the light, that we do have fellowship one with another. We're also brought back into fellowship with Christ as well. And so verse 7 is interesting because verse 6 mentions fellowship with Jesus. Verse 7 mentions fellowship one with another as well. So there's the, those two different aspects. So have you have you ever felt like you know you you know you have a sin in your life you're not doing anything to try to get away from that sin you're not seeking God you're not seeking the Lord to try to combat that sin and mortify it and you feel like when you're around other believers or when you're in church or when you're maybe you're trying to do your devotions or pray you just don't feel like you can go to God or have fellowship with those other believers that's what this is talking about here. And so to be brought back into that fellowship, 
We need to get right with God. We need to get serious about those sins that we're constantly living in. And we're going to get into that a little bit later, how this problem is solved, but I want to get into the two other ways that we deceive ourselves first. So the next one is in verse 8. And it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now these, these three different verses, 6, 8, and 10, it's saying kind of the same thing, but I'm just using the wording in these passages to illustrate different ways that we can deceive ourselves. So if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so um, I like to think of this as if we feel like that we, I don't know, that we currently never sin or that you know, maybe you're saved and, and you are deceived that you won't sin anymore or maybe you've mortified the sin and you grow complacent and you don't keep mortifying it through that process and you believe that you'll never fall into it again. That has to do more with not guarding our hearts and not looking out for our sin nature. And so we deceive ourselves into thinking that we can just kind of rest and not worry about our sin anymore. And that sin nature is still not is, is not in us anymore. And so that's another way that we can deceive ourselves. And then verse 10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So I'm going to use this to illustrate... Um, thinking that we have not sinned when we have committed a sin. And so in this scenario, you commit a sin, but you try to justify to make it seem like you haven't sinned. You try to justify it to yourself to make yourself feel better, make yourself not feel guilty and shamed about that sin. And as, as human beings, imperfect human beings, with a deceitful and desperately wicked heart, it's pretty reliable that we'll find that we'll try to find any way to justify what we do because we don't want to feel bad about what we do. And a lot of times we just think that we're right. And so I'll give kind of a silly illustration. So say you're going to say you're going to like Buffalo Wild Wings or something. And you you know, they give out free dessert for your birthday. Okay? They give out free dessert. And so you want some of that chocolate cake. You want some free chocolate cake. You want to pay for it. So you ask around. You're asking, hey, is it anyone's birthday around? Like, maybe we could get some free stuff out of this. And it's no one's birthday. But then you decide, man, I still just want that chocolate cake. The server doesn't know. It's not my birthday. And so I'm just going to lie to the server and tell them it's my birthday so I can get that chocolate cake. And so you try to justify it to yourself by thinking, um, you know, it's not really doing any harm to anybody. Um, you know, maybe I could share the cake with everyone at my table and make it a little bit better. Sharing's good, right? And so you're justifying it to yourself. But what's the truth? The truth is that you're committing a sin by lying and deceiving. In the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. And God takes sin very seriously even if it seems small to you. And also, it might not have the little effects that you might think it have. 
because getting into the habit of lying, and still using that example of the, birth, of the birthday cake, the chocolate cake, if you get into the habit of lying, it can make you develop that habit of deceiving people to get what you want, and it can escalate. And so whenever you're thinking about sin, you also need to think about how it can grow and escalate, and it happens little by little, and sometimes you don't see it until it gets too big. And so that's another way that we deceive ourselves as well. But the good news is that God forgives. And so verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we'll walk through that process real quick. If we confess our sins, if we confess, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just. He has made a promise to us to forgive our sins if we confess them to him. So he's faithful. He's made that promise. And he is just. Since he's made that promise, he's going to do it. He's going to follow through with it. To forgive us our sins, he will treat you like you've never sinned. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that part is important. And I feel like a lot of times we skip over that part, the cleansing part. The cleansing from all unrighteousness is also a process in our lives. A process of repentance, turning away from our sin, and renewing our minds. Renewing our minds to see sin as God sees it. And so through that process, God sheds light. You know, God is the light, so he sheds light on our sin. And so he reveals that sin to us. Then he draws our attention to that sin. And then he makes it clear. He takes away any confusion from you. He makes it clear that that's something that you've got to get taken care of. And if you're truly seeking the Lord, the Lord will give you strength to work through that process and to bring you back into fellowship with him and to fellowship with other believers. And that's all I have. I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. really good things to chew on. So uh, first of all, you know, what uh, I love the way Owen said this. Have you ever been to this place where all of a sudden the things that you know are right, you're not sure about anymore because life has just slapped you upside the head? And we know that we can pray to God. We've been talking about it. We've been doing it. We've been preaching it. We've been encouraging others to do so. And then all of a sudden we're the ones in need of prayer and it's a challenge. Or perhaps we are you know, his neighbor's talking to us and in need of uh, getting our lives right with God and back in the light. So let's have heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. And let's contemplate these truths that we've been given and where we are with them. Are you facing something that uh, you've just been struggling with to uh, bring to the Lord? Uh, you know, I, I cannot imagine, you know, the uh, Horatio Spafford who is, you know, buried his four children and didn't get a chance to bury his four children. You know, that would just be, whew, I just can't even imagine what those things were like. Sometimes life is hard, and maybe something you're going through right now is just one of those things, and you know the right thing. You know that uh, 
You're supposed to trust the Lord during these times. You've taught other people and encouraged other people to do that, but now it's you, and you're sitting here tonight saying, man, I'm struggling, Pastor. This is just, I don't know how I'm going to do this, and and uh, the challenge is on you. So maybe that's you tonight. Say, Pastor John, I, I'm the one standing in need of prayer now. And Would you pray that God would just help me to trust him? Uh, I, I'm reminded of the guy when... He came to Jesus and said, Jesus, please heal my son. And Jesus said, if you believe, I can do this. And the man said, I believe. Lord, help thou mine unbelief. You know, it's uh, that's that difficult thing. He said, Pastor John, that's where I'm at. Would you pray for me? There's some things happening. I just, I'm struggling to trust my God right now. Would you slip your hand up? Thank you, thank you, three, thank you, four, thank you, thank you. Maybe it is that you'd say, you know, Pastor, if I'd be honest, I'm looking at my sin through my deceptive heart, and I've been able to convince myself to justify, you know, my sin's not as bad as somebody else's, or I didn't mean for it to be like that. What I meant was it for something good, but uh, and I'm deceiving myself, and the reality is I am not walking in the light. I am not fellowshipping with my Savior on a regular basis, and I need to start at 1 John 1, 9. I know I'm saved. That's not the issue. But I need, to, I need to confess my sin so that I can be brought back into fellowship with my Savior. Pastor, the Lord's brought something to my heart and mind. I know I need to deal with it. I've been putting it off. And uh, tonight, I want to deal with this. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up? Let me see that so I can pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Three, four, five, six. Thank you. Father, tender hearts are here. God, you're doing a work. Your word has gone forth and gone forth with power. The truth sets us free. God, help us tonight to rely on your truth. Each and every one that's raised their hand, God, I pray that they would find your peace that passes understanding, that you would be, you would bring them back into fellowship with you tonight in a very unique and special way. That, God, we would find uh, the ability to trust you when life doesn't make sense. And I just pray that you would uh, just meet with each one tonight. And we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing together. 611. You know, the altar's open to you. You don't have to avail yourself of the altar. I know that. And it doesn't change anything. The reality is God can meet you right there at your seat. But uh, the altar's open. We encourage you to do business with God in whatever way is necessary to make sure you leave here tonight walking in the light. As we sing together, you step out, let the Lord have his way. Thank you, Recharge Class. Wow, what a joy it is uh, to see our young people when they step up and uh, preach, lead to singing, do things. That, some, for the, some of them totally out of their comfort zone, uh, but, uh, you know, God is just, it's wonderful to watch that. I'm always encouraged when our, our young people take over the services, and I'm, I leave here thinking, thank you, Lord, for making sure that um, what you're doing isn't just going to die out with this generation. Isn't that wonderful to know that, that as we are approaching, uh, some of us, you know, approaching, where we're seeing the end of that tunnel, it's like, 
Praise the Lord, somebody else is uh, going to be able to step in, and uh, it's always exciting. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for your faithful service to us. All right, so uh, you've got three minutes early, so I took, kept you three minutes late this morning. You got three minutes early. See, it balances out. The Lord's always good about that. It balances all out. So that means you also have time to stick around and fellowship with one another, talk to the college students, let them know how much you appreciate what they've done. And anything else I'm supposed to be announcing? Uh, Budgets are out, thank you, so make sure you pick up those. Missions conference is Friday, make sure you come here. On, by the way, I, I'm, I'm just, I know Fridays are really tough, I know. You've got sports and all kinds of other things, but if you can be here, you need to be here. It's more than just what happens for these missionaries that are here. It's learning about how we can better serve all of our missionaries around the globe. And so, uh, 7 o'clock Friday night. Be here for that and all day Saturday and the things that are going on. The packets are out there. The packets, out there on the packet from the missions conference. You can see what's going on each day and uh, keep those in mind as well. Give you something to pray about. Lord bless you. Keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Give you peace. You are dismissed. God bless you.